Hi, this is Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast, the podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today, we're talking to Jim McKnight about multiplying movements within the military. Yeah, I was led to Christ um, in 2002 uh, by a parachurch organization while I was in the military. I labored for about eight more years. I, I did uh, 10 total years in the military, and they discipled me and really made a big impact in my life. And in 2010, I got out of the military and went into full-time work with this parachurch organization. And pretty quickly, I became discouraged. Um, I was investing in people the way I had been trained, and I wasn't, I wasn't seeing people when they left our ministry at Fort Benning continue to labor they would probably attend a local church somewhere and that's kind of what they would do for the rest of their lives now one of my highest values was multiplication and generations i was convinced almost from you know my conversion that we were not going to get the job done unless we were doing movements i wouldn't have called it movements i would have called it generations then um and so that left me pretty um discouraged and I was trying different things and investing in people. And I'd go visit people that I had trained and they weren't doing very much. And I was like, man, what happened? Hmm. And uh, I knew something had to change or really I was kind of kidding myself about being en route to changing the world, to hastening his return. So uh, my mentor, Chuck, in December 2011, he gave me this book called T for T. And uh, anybody that's read it they're right there in the you know, the first couple of pages, it says 14 generations, thousands of baptisms and all these things. And I was like, I don't know anybody more committed to multiplication and generations than, you know, my organization. These guys must be lying. There must be something else going on. Um, but I was too intrigued to put the book down. So I continued to read it. It was right around the new year. Uh, I just remember like new year, thinking new things. I got about halfway done with it. And I was like, well, maybe. And then when I finished it, I was like, I'm doing this. I was pretty sold. And uh, I was talking to my mentor and he was saying the same things. Meanwhile, my mentor left that um, organization and I wanted to, I felt like God really told me to stay until I was um, forbidden from really starting churches. That was the big rub. Um, Cause I was convinced that if we didn't get to church, we weren't going to have sustainability. If we didn't have people that could plant churches and form communities with that kind of commitment to each other. And uh, so I just basically lived in, in constant tension uh, for the next three years doing what I think I thought God wanted me to do. Uh, but kind of having the disapproval of my leaders, but no one would come down and say, can't do it. They, they were, they're good men. They were trying to figure out, well, we like the fruit. We're not sure if we like the process. And so everyone was on a learning um, and discovery together. What, what, and, uh, was that, go ahead. Tim, what was that fruit looking like at that stage? Because you'd yeah, seen fruit before. That. So yeah. what does it look like now? Yeah, I, I think in the past, there was a kind of a big ministry around me in 2011, 2012. Um, and here's kind of what was happening. I'm on a military base. And uh, I would go outside a chapel with a large population of soldiers around it. And I would stand on the street corner and recruit them to come into uh, the chapel 
for a Bible study and pizza. And I could get that thing pretty full standing out there for an hour. And then uh, I would invite people that I was discipling who didn't do any of that recruiting to come in and, and we would do, you know, break up into small groups. And I'm thinking, I viewed that as I was getting to the third generation. Hmm. So I was like, okay, hang on, we, let's just do a test. Let's do an experiment. So one night, it was April, 2012. I told all the leaders of the small groups, Hey, next week, we had maybe seven small groups, something like that. I said, hey, next week, you guys meet anywhere but here. Take the people you have tonight, meet anywhere but here, and uh, I'll meet with one group here, and we'll keep this, this thing going. And the next week, only two groups met. And on the third week, the only group left that was mine. And so I realized I was very, it was a sh- I was shocked. I was pretty discouraged, and I realized I was it's kind of kidding myself because I was basically having babies and having my teenagers watch the babies and calling myself a grandparent. Hmm. I wasn't getting true generations. So when these people left my area, they, of course they couldn't uh, continue laboring. Of course there was no full reproduction because they were counting on me to help them, you know, to give them people to disciple. So we made some changes and Melinda and I started a church in our home. And I have a little note here for, from this was, these were the goals of our church in September of 2014. This is our, these are our prayers. We pray, we were praying um, that we would pray for an hour as a church once. We'd memorize 12 verses as a church. That we would run at least one level one evangelism training in our area. That every wife would testify that they have a great marriage. And that we would have four new third-generation churches and two new second-generation churches and 10 baptisms. That's where we were at that point. But we were church, and we were trying to get progress. And we were seeing some, what I would call, genuine multiplication. The other churches were totally autonomous downstream. And um, we really started picking up uh, speed in 2015. By the end of 2015... um, there were 11 baptisms at one army installation that, that was not mine. There were 50 total baptisms that year. And um, we had 16 total committed churches, committed churches, self-identified churches in our network. And uh, we had some pretty solid emerging leaders who were still on active duty, who were leading churches and multiplying them and doing baptisms. And we had a fourth generation baptism from me if I was generation one that year for the first time. One of the other cool things that happened is we, we had this uh, conference called five Niners uh, that summer and five Niners came from revelation five, nine that we wanted to see every tribe, tongue, language, and nation hear the gospel. And we began talking about mobilizing to UPGs and uh, we had two couples signed up to go at the end of 2015 so we were pretty pretty excited about some of the growth that was happening and the changes that were going on. So two couples, were they leaving the military to reach unreached people groups? That's exactly right. Yep. And, um, one, you know, one's in South Asia today still um, making disciples there. One went to Middle East and actually realized that he, he really wanted to do agricultural training to help people in the Middle East in the de- farm in the desert 
So he came back to get some more training and he's going to go back. Um, oh, and I think I forgot to mention there were, there was another guy in the Middle East who's still there now. And he ended up just taking a job in the Middle East to keep his visa. And he's, he's making disciples. And he's got a church over there. So, um, yeah, so they left the military. And I think at that point, Steve, it dawned on us that probably our best contribution to the movement is reaching soldiers and then when they get out mobilizing them to upgs because they make in general pretty good cross-cultural missionaries Mm. so we like that we like special forces guys and rangers and stuff like that who you know have had some they've they've grown up a little more quickly probably Mm. Uh, and so that's that's one of our better contributions well let's face it too they're crazy they are a little crazy and i think to be a you know a cross-cultural worker in a lot of hard places, you have to be a little crazy, <laughs> crazy for Jesus. And uh, what were you doing differently between seeing a lot of that ministry revolve around your direct influence and now it's reproducing generations? What was yeah. the heart of the shift in you and, and in the ministry? Yeah. I'm ashamed of this, but there was almost no teaching to obey in our work. If you had asked me, is obedience important? I would have said, you're darn right, it's important. <laughs> but there was really, you know, no, no teaching to obey. So we, we put the three-thirds process in, and we began to ask at the end of every meeting, church meeting, what is the Holy Spirit? Not what, what are we telling you? What's the Holy Spirit telling you to do? And we began to hold people very accountable to what, God was telling them to do. And we lost some people because of that. That was hard. That was a new, a new step that wasn't there before. And that made a huge difference. All of a sudden, I mean, we, we were doing no evangelism before that. We were doing what we called recruiting. We would just ask people to come to our Bible study. And I, some people do that. That's great. But that was not getting us what we wanted. So we started sharing the gospel for the first time. We trained the gospel. We equipped the gospel. We started on our first, our first meeting became, are you a disciple? And here's how to go lead a disciple of Christ. And um, the other thing we did is we started casting vision. That, that every week, that really wasn't there before. And the vision was basically this. At the end of this first meeting is our church. You are released to go start your own church. You don't know. And if you go lead somebody to Christ, if you bring them back to our church, we'll disciple them for you. But if you want to disciple them and you want to be the primary disciple maker in their life, you start a church with them. Now, that vision was hard for people to hear too. That was like, whoa, a lot of people, I'm not ready. Um, but pretty soon after just casting that for a steady couple of months, people started to buy in. And we'd start asking questions like, okay, you didn't start a church this week. If you were going to start a church, who would you do it with and where would you do it? And they're like, well, I got two neighbors that would probably come over and read the Bible with me and I'd do it in my house. Okay, well, then there's a plan. <laughs> so we start to plant seeds and kind of not just vision cast, but vision coach. And um, I just think back in those times and I think the other thing we're doing is our, our prayer lives were increasing. I mean, we were getting some pretty significant persecution at that point. And um, I think there was a new trust in God and the Holy Spirit that hadn't been there before. Yeah. And uh, at the same time, there was the approval of our Lord Jesus that we were 
making a difference for the first time. Mm. Mm. And how did uh, the consciously starting new churches change things? Yeah, I think that what happened was we we were making leaders and laborers faster because a lot of people will sit in church and they'll say to themselves, well, if I, if I ever did this, I would have a much run a much better church than this. But once you get out there and try, it's very humbling. The first time you go out there and you say, Hey, I'm trying to start a church and no one shows up. I tell people all the time, the first step in planting a new church is canceling the last two that didn't work out. And, uh, and so all kinds of characters being developed in laborers because they have to go share the gospel and start their own churches. Um, we're not going to do it for them. And the learning process goes through the roof, Steve, because they're out there, they try it, it doesn't work, they come back and they have questions that they did not have before. I, I just think about Mark 3.14 um, when it says he chose his disciples that he might be with them and that he might send them out to preach. And if you trace through Christ and the apostles, you're going to see this. They're going to play around with the ratio of time sent out versus time come back. But that is a constant pattern, sending out and then coming back for debriefing. And I think that really helped us create laborers who, when they left our installation, could start a new church. That made a huge difference for us. And how is your role changing how you do ministry? Oh man, I'm in a totally new place. I, I I feel like all the time I have no idea what I'm doing and I'm just trying to follow Jesus. I'm in a totally new place. Uh, Just this last week, I had an iron on iron and um, it was great. I had three key guys that I was discipling plus my mentor Chuck and they all already know me really well. So they gave me the iron on iron. I was like, it was such good feedback. And one of the things they said was like, Hey, the local ministry at, at Fort Benning, you got to, you got to let that go completely. And so I just felt like the Lord told me, don't go on that installation. Let Tyler do it. He's got it. And that was tough because <laughs> Fort Benning is a very strategic place. Half of the army's new recruits come to Fort Benning. So when they all come in, if you reach them and equip them quickly, they get shot out all over the United States and overseas. Uh, so it's a pretty valuable target for me. And I really want to see that go well. I'm like, I was praying, God, give me a good strategy to reach basic trainees. And the answer came back, let Tyler do it. <laughs> yes, Lord. But so Tyler. Tyler, yeah, he's the guy he's on active duty still. And he lives on Fort Benning, Tyler and Sarah. Um, they're, they've been well, they've kind of been trained, uh, for a while with us and, and they, they know what they're doing. They're extremely competent and they're candidates to go to South Asia or to UPGs at some point in the next couple of years, he owes probably about two more years uh, and they're great. And so I'm learning, you know, even now I thought I had this figured out. Oh yeah. From the first meeting, I let him go and I'm learning to continue to release authority more and more. Um, you know, my mentor, what am I, my mentor Chuck said, Hey, look, I'm a counselor. I can't be your authority anymore. Kind of in a nice way. He said, you're just too cantankerous to lead. And, uh, <laughs> So I got a board of directors. I got four men on my board of directors. And uh, if two of them say, hey, this is what you're going to do, I submit to them like it's my boss. 
that's a whole new place too. They're all basically men. I've had a pretty significant role in raising up. Uh, so we're learning. I'm in just a new place in a lot of ways. Um, learning to submit and to raise up men to shoulder height with me and band together and team with them really well. Those are the first two things that came to mind, brother. So what? Let, let's let's drill down a little bit with with Tyler. Yeah, this is really the shift. Is okay. You're you're not you're not at Ford Benning anymore, but Tyler is. So. Yeah. How did that relationship develop and how are you investing in him? So uh, I was deployed um, from the end of 2018 until summer of 2019. My National Guard unit got called up to go to Afghanistan. And um, I had another guy take over the work for me while I was gone. He did a great job, uh, which is another really healthy sign when you can walk away something from something for nine months and it, and it keeps going. And when I came back, Tyler and his, Sarah, and his wife, Sarah, just came back to Fort Benning. And I knew them kind of from a distance. They had been discipled by a guy that's now in South Asia. And uh, so he came to me and said, look, I'm going to try to stay at Fort Benning as long as I can. I really want some more training. And he, I think he was a little discouraged um, this summer. The church that he had was down to like one or two people. And uh, so I began to meet with them and coach them. I started a church where I was modeling for him. And then he went out and started his own church. So we just put that process on. And, um, you know, by a couple months ago, he was hitting, you know, multiple second gen churches from his church. So third gen church from the one that Rolinda and I were leading. And uh, he was baptizing people and equipping them to share and uh, just doing really well. And so that's when I decided, hey, it's time to just give him more space and uh we let's see if i can tie this in a, in a package so i have an online church i call it church even though it's online um text me if you think i'm a heretic but i, I really think it is um we're very committed to each other and uh of people all over different installations that are doing this in the army and so i train them there on some more long-term discipleship stuff and then they're working on it at their own installation so i just put tyler in that same even though we live next to each other I just put him in that same group and began to treat him like someone that's on the other side of the country. So that's how it started. That's where it went. Okay. And well, what does that look like though, beyond being in that group? Uh, what is your investment in Tyler's life and ministry look like? Yeah. So when I'm discipling someone, I ask them to be in church with me at least every other week. Some of our churches meet every other week. Um, but then I also meet with them once a week outside of that, either one-on-one or one-on-two. It's something we call an accountability team. And that's where we, we kind of use it as a leadership development tool. We use it to kind of go deeper uh, and spend time coaching him. And he gets to ask questions and I give him feedback on what's going on. So that's kind of the minimum. Now, just lucky for me and Tyler, we both go to the same gym. So I see him at the uh, eight o'clock class most days. <laughs> After the workout, we always catch up. So I'm seeing that guy almost every day. Um, but with people I'm training, I try to get at least three three hours a week with them, if not more. And what sort of things are you doing when, you, when you're with him? You're doing church and three-thirds? Yeah, church and three-thirds. That's the first thing, just modeling that process. And we have a, we have a curriculum that's you know, a very simple short-term discipleship package. Uh, one of the unique things about ours is at the end of the first 
five lessons, there's a sixth lesson that's take, has you take a survey. Are you obeying the first five lessons? And we talk about obedience and uh, obedience to Jesus. And if, if the church says, hey, we're not doing real good on these things, we just retrain what we need to retrain on. And so we've kind of adopted the idea that, you know, we're trying to train people to obey, not just to know. And that means sometimes retraining. You know, anything that you train on has to be done iteratively. Uh, so I do that with him. And then we have a midterm discipleship curriculum. And then we also have a long-term discipleship curriculum. So he's in long-term now. We're going through, you know, a full-blown inductive Bible study of the book of Acts, which will probably take us a year. And that's in terms of Bible. But then, you know, he also gets iron on irons and, um, you know, he sets goals at the end of every church meeting. And then we meet as an 18. And the first question for 18, do you have any sin to confess? Questions like... I think disciple makers everywhere are asking these two questions. What is Jesus saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? So those are two critical questions that we ask every time we meet. So that's some of the things that I'm doing with Tyler. Um, Tyler's a soldier. He has a full-time job. He has a full-time job. He's a graduate student right now. The Army sent him to graduate school. But okay. that's still full-time work. Yeah. So, yeah, he's he's, uh, you know, working through that uh, how to manage his time. Uh, sorry, there was a what, question there after that. He's a soldier. What's his what does his ministry look like? What's he yeah, doing so, while you're investing in him? So Tyler has started a church on Sunday morning and there's probably 10 or 12 people in it. Um, Two thirds of them show up every Sunday and he's trained them through short term discipleship and they're working in midterm. And two of those guys have started their own church um, on Fort Benning. Now, those churches are very fragile right now. Um, and so he's working on that. And that's about where he is. He's getting some second-generation churches. Uh, he baptized a, a really good guy named Ethan. And uh, Ethan um, was engaged to a girl that was a nominal Christian, we think. He went home and shared the gospel with her. And she had to think about it for quite a while. And just over Christmas, Ethan baptized his fiance. So, you know, Tyler's learning to equip guys like Ethan. Ethan's a, a lieutenant and this is his first year in the army. And, um, you know, it's happening. And that's sort of drilling down. If we, if we looked across the U S or even, you know, some of these guys are over, overseas. Um, what, what's happening out there? How many uh, churches are forming? How many leaders like Tyler have you got? What does it look like? Yeah, we just, I should have mentioned this at the beginning. And I went to SC training in 2015 for the strategy first time. coordinator training. Strategy coordinator training in Florida with uh, Steve Smith. God rest his soul. Mm. And uh, I had just got asked to, I just got told, hey, if you're going to plant churches, you can't do it with this organization. So I just left the org I was with, which freed me up to go to this strategy coordinator training. And it was like I was born again, again. Mm. I was like with my people. Yeah. And I came out of that with a vision. Everybody came back to the ministry like, Jim, you are crazy. Whatever happened to you at that strategy coordinator training, something's wrong with you. So I had to take a chill pill and kind of roll it out slow. But I, 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 at 2015, we set a goal, at least I did, and I cast a vision for it, of 2020 churches by 2020 uh, and 30 strings to the fourth generation and 5,000 baptisms. That's what I wanted to see. Now, we missed that by several thousand. But here's kind of, we just took an inventory. We just had a celebration and took an inventory of where we are across the whole network. And uh, we came up with a, about 118 churches 
most of them, interestingly, almost all of them identified as church. Very few church starts. And I think as we started to go zero to one more and more, the question of church was like, all the new lost new believers like, yeah, this is church. Where has this been all my life? So it's, it's not an issue for them. So we get to church very quickly. So 118 churches, we missed 2020 by a little bit, but God's good. We're going to get what we can and uh, be thankful. And we had about 585 baptisms and about four strings to the fourth generation. Um, and that includes our ministry in South Asia, which makes up probably about 40% of our work. So it's become really an international work and it's growing. We're learning. Uh, we're, you know, we're far from the goals uh, that we set. Um, but we're just going to keep going. To, to, we set some more goals for 2025, and uh, I'm still memorizing them, so don't ask me to quote them right now. But they were they were big. I think I think it was for another two thousand to get to 2020 churches was one of them. So, what's, Jim, what's God put on your heart? What's what's the the dream He's given you? I I really think Matthew 24:14 is my dream. I, I would like I would like to not die and see Jesus Christ return in our generation. You know, our leader, Jeff Sundell, asked us to pray um, this month and fast for every people, every place, for a a church planning team, trainers to be committed to every people in every place. Basically, there's no more UPGs, uh, or at least no more UUPGs. Somebody's engaging every people, every place. And I would love to see the return of Christ in our generation. I think that's my, my biggest goal. My friend Jared uh, was sharing this verse, and I, I had it down. I think I hadn't even hardly thought about it until he shared it at the conference, but it's, I'm claiming it for me now. It says Isaiah 49.6. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. It's too small a thing for us to stay just kind of on U.S. soil amongst the United States Army. It's, it's for the ends of the earth. Salvation to go to the ends of the earth. So, that's me. You can find out more about No Place Left Army by visiting noplaceleftarmy.net. This has been Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast.